0: Welcome to the Therapeutic Food Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Marin Mitchell. I'm an integrative nutrition health coach, therapeutic diet expert, and founder of The Road to Living Whole. There are many different diets out there. It's hard to know which one is right for you with your chronic illness and autoimmune disease. In this podcast, I'm going to share with you the foundational pieces every single therapeutic diet out there shares, and also how to use the best one for your particular diagnosis. If you've been looking for a meal planning partner, help navigating the complicated healthcare system, and want to feel better quickly, I'm your girl. Grab your kombucha notebook. Let's dive in. So often with autoimmune disease and chronic illness, it requires us to be on medication, both short-term and long-term to manage symptoms. Sometimes there are many, sometimes there are a few, but all the same, they are needed. The problem is that many medications deplete certain nutrients quickly. And when these nutrients get low, other new symptoms and complications can occur. This is what Dr. Biamonte and I will be talking through today. It's going to be really good. So tune in. Dr. Biamonte, welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here because this is one of my favorite subjects too.
0: Good. I'm really excited. Can you tell us who you are, what you practice, where where you study? Just tell us about yourself.
1: So I am known nowadays as an expert in handling candidiasis and other types of intestinal dysbiosis, which basically means intestinal infections. But I wasn't born an expert in treating candida. Um, My story starts back in 1984 when I graduated from naturopathic school. And I specialized or or concentrated in naturopathic school in the interpretation of blood tests. So what I was, um, and I I studied a lot of people's work. I studied the work by Dr. Jim Seema and by Ken Brockman, who was a, Ken Brockman was kind of like a barnstorming chiropractor who is coming up with his own interpretation of blood work. And what I mean is I I could look at a, a blood test, standard SMA 24, 26, and I could actually tell you what deficiencies the person had, even though that's not what it's testing for. Because we were looking at the function of the organs and glands in that blood work, and we had our own reference range. Our reference range was within the medical range we would call that the ideal range. And then when I got out of school, I wanted to get a computer that could do this. And in my travels, I was in a health food store and I was telling the people there, you know, I have this skill that I've developed on blood work, but I want to computerize it. And she's the woman said to me, Oh, you have to go talk to Dr. Santoro. He's in Massapequa, Long Island. He already has that. He's doing that. So she gave me his number. I went and met this gentleman and I was shocked To find out that he was the man who developed the life support systems on the lunar module. Wow. And he told me about this project that he had at Grumman with these other uh, nutritionists. Actually, they're actually, to be technically correct, they were aerospace physiologists, these fellows. And they were building a computer model for, for NASA that could study blood tests and tell NASA what vitamins the astronauts needed.
0: That's really cool.
1: So I think I figured this is great. Yes, it's right up my alley. So I joined the team and I worked with them for quite a few years. And then we actually took the project um, public and we started using it in different in doctor's offices and whatnot. Um, and we were shocked at what we would see, some of the things we would see. Like, for instance, a person who had been on our program And the computer would look at their blood work, it would look at also a hair mineral analysis and a urine analysis, and it could actually re-simulate their body step by step, every step in the human body that we knew of. We practically took Harper's biochemistry and Guyton's physiology and put it into the, the computer along with other contributions by other nutritionists. So the computer could see like step-by-step step, everything in their metabolism. And we'd have people who were apparently doing well on the program. Then all of a sudden they, we'd run a report and then now all of a sudden they're deficient in vitamin B1 and B6. So that we would then ask them, you know, were you doing anything different? So yeah, the doctor put me on Adderall. So I've then learned that, well, Adderall creates a B1 and B6 deficiency. Now, why would it do that? Well, because it's like speed. And when you take something that's an amphetamine, you're gonna accelerate your Krebs cycle and your uh, your other biological, your glycolytic pathways, you accelerate them all, and you end up causing a deficiency of those vitamins. So that was my first look into this, was by watching what drugs people would end up on and then seeing what their nutrients level, levels were. Like we were talking before, um, I was amazed people would go on statin drugs to try to lower their cholesterol, which is a whole other story. And we'd test them, and we'd find all of a sudden that their CoQ10 levels had gone way down. Now, CoQ10 is an essential vitamin for your heart and for muscles in the body. We used to give it to athletes after the marathon, give them massive amounts of CoQ10. They recover five times faster from the race. But when you start looking at this, and you start to test people, person after person, year after year, you start to see that To a large degree, all these prescription drugs are causing deficiencies, which doesn't make sense. That's not the kind of thing you want. And in the case of statin drugs and cholesterol, you know, there was a time, it's not so much now, but there was a time where if you were on a a talk show like this and you said the word cholesterol, people would go, (gasps) you know, it was like it would evoke fear in the hearts of everybody, the word cholesterol. Well, most people don't know what cholesterol is or what it does. They just know, oh, cholesterol, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. My doctor said I should, I, I should, my cholesterol should be down at five or, or, or zero. Insane. When you actually study physiology, which most doctors don't do anymore, they study pharmacology, which means the drug salesman comes to their office and tells them what the deal is. But when you study physiology, you learn that cholesterol is the base substance of all your hormones. If you have no hormones or no cholesterol, you can't make hormones. This is why what, what you see with accountants. Um, in March, we did a study once we took the, the cholesterol levels of accountants in March. And then again, we did them in July and in March, their levels were really high. And then in July, their cholesterol would come back down. Well, why was that? They were under stress tax returns. They had to get these tax returns. They were under a lot of stress. So their cholesterol levels went up because their adrenal glands were producing more stress hormones. So there's a reason. If you look at these things, there's a reason now, Um, ignorant people would say well all the accountants need to be on the uh the statin drugs at that time of the year no that's not that's not the case cholesterol is also used by your body as a detoxifier you can't detoxify toxic metals or any kind of bad toxins in your system without cholesterol because cholesterol is a waxy like substance that the body attaches these toxins to and then it sends them to your liver, your gallbladder, and you poop them out. You also can't transport vitamins without cholesterol. That's another thing your body does with cholesterol. It transports vitamins. So cholesterol isn't this horrible thing that comes in the middle of the night and takes your clothes and takes your money. Cholesterol is something that's really use, used in the body. It's essential. And when I hear nowadays that they have um, versions of statin drugs they want to give infants, I think that's that's just insane. It's really time for people to stand back and... Really start saying, well, what is the purpose of this drug, and what is it going to do to me? I mean, you get scared enough if you watch TV I and mean, you see these drug commercials, and it's every you, they go through every side effect that you could imagine. So, th- there you have it. That's my opinion on that.
0: Oh gosh, I could literally talk about like this for hours. I absolutely love understand physiology and how everything works in the body, and I. You know, I know about the role cholesterol plays. And part of my coaching is I get people to stop being afraid of it. You know, it's about being healthy. Like, you, like it doesn't matter. Like the number doesn't matter as much as the quality of what's going on. And it does go up and down depending on what you've got going on. And you can't just look at labs in isolation.
1: Now, Dr. Pfeiffer at the BioBrain Center in New Jersey did a study many years ago on cholesterol. And he proved statistically that as cholesterol went above 220, your your uh, possibility of a heart attack could go up if your HDL didn't go up with it. High cholesterol and high HDL is fine.
0: And a lot of people don't know that. And they also no. don't know about the density of LDL and how that impacts things.
1: And they, they also don't understand that when your cholesterol drops, you can have a stroke. Cholesterol's 130 and below your risk of a stroke goes way up.
0: Yeah. And high cholesterol is not a death sentence. And really it can be protective in a lot of ways, especially as we age. And so, you know, people are aging, their body's doing what it's supposed to do. And then we're artificially lowering it because of some obscure number from some obscure test that sells drugs. And, you know, people are just trusting their doctor when in reality, they should be doing their own research to see if that's something they feel comfortable with, with their own body, with their own situation. People outsource control of their healthcare a lot. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, for this audience, for the people listening, typically they have autoimmune disease and chronic illness. And if you outsource your health care, your quality of life is just going to keep going down. And this is one of the reasons is deficiency from medication and just not knowing what you don't know and not being able to take control of your health.
1: The average doctor really knows nothing about autoimmune d- disease. They know, they know very little, if anything. They know that with treating autoimmune disease, they typically are going to give steroids and that's because when you give steroids, you suppress the immune response. That's about as much as they know. They don't know what what causes it. And unfortunately, the cause is, is well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but it, it, um, the cause of autoimmune diseases is very well known. There's no mystery about it. We know almost 90% of all autoimmune diseases are caused by a condition called intestinal permeability, which we know is leaky gut syndrome. Right. And when you have leaky gut basically means that things are leaking from your gut into your bloodstream and your body's attacking those things as foreign invaders and that sets off an autoimmune response so then well how do you get leaky gut well typically get, people get leaky gut by having candida yep. candida parasites being exposed to toxins being exposed to drugs antibiotics are
0: a big one right. completely disrupting the microbiome So, you know, so going back to, you know, we're talking about leaky gut and then the autoimmune disease and all of that. Let's you talked about SSRIs when we first connected. Can Mm -hmm. you tell us more about those? And then maybe if you could talk about maybe pain meds and then maybe steroids and how that all plays a role for us.
1: Well, the SSRI story is actually very funny because when you go out and you ask people on the street, what does an SSRI do? They're going to say, well, it raises serotonin. That's what they're going to tell you because that's what they think because you're taking it because your serotonin is too low. Well, most people don't know the truth. The truth is that what SSRIs do is lower serotonin. That's why occasionally you get people who have side effects of the SSRI that resemble the exact reason the doctor prescribed it. You see? The the amount of suicides that occurred during the trials for Prozac It's very interesting because it's very controversial. There were some studies say this, another study says that. And wherever there's controversy, I'd like to think there's fire somewhere there. But in actual fact, an SSRI blocks serotonin. It's called a reuptake inhibitor, which means that it's supposed to help your body absorb the serotonin again into your brain. But that's not what reuptake inhibitor, the word inhibitor is key there it inhibits the uptake of serotonin and the reason why is somehow accidentally When in a in a lab one day somebody noticed that when you lowered the amount or blocked the amount of serotonin going into someone's brain the receptor sites for serotonin became more acutely active so whatever serotonin has like a serotonin sparing effect in a way whatever serotonin is there the body uses maybe 10 or 20 times more than it would have So you're cutting it back. It's Think about it in a way that's primal. There's some primal uh, sense to this. You cut back on something and then you have to use whatever you do have much better, much more efficiently. Right. But at the same time, when you're lowering serotonin in those people's brains, they can have a serotonin crash. And then they could become really depressed and commit suicide and things like this. So it's a little bit of a gamble. Now, the correct way to do this um would be you would test the person and you would check their neurotransmitters. I said this to a psychiatrist one day, and he said, you can do that, really? Well, but that's a whole, other. psychiatry is a very interesting uh, profession, but that's in um, another story. Uh, they don't really know much about testing. They don't know much about anything, actually. Um, but s- psychiatrists don't test you. Uh, what they do is they guess based on what the cell, the drug salesman told them this drug is, should be good for this or that. So they guess and they put you on the drug and they don't really know what's going to happen. They're kind of guessing the DMS, which is the book that the psychiatrists go by. Very interesting, very interesting book. They've invented millions of stories in, in that book, bipolar disorder, They've They've got something they even have trumpophobia now, I heard. and they're for people who are avidly against President Trump, they want to prescribe drugs for that, too. So it, it just doesn't not very scientific to me, the whole the whole thing. But you, when you take an SSRI, you're actually blocking the serotonin uptake into your brain, hoping that your receptor sites are going to more keenly use it, and that's how it works. The correct thing to do, as I was saying before, is you test the person's neurotransmitters, which you can do with a blood test or even more easily with a urine test. There's actually more documentation on testing neurotransmitters with urine than there is with blood. And then you look at what the neurotransmitters are doing and you can find patterns between them all. And if you have any experience with this, then you know whether or not the drug is correct or even better yet, you know that you can use nutritional formulas instead of the drug. There's a company called Neuroscience that I've worked with for many years by the late Dr. Kellerman, and neuroscience specializes in making formulas to raise, raise dopamine, raise serotonin, raise whatever, based on giving you the precursors to that, to that neurotransmitter. So if you have, a, if you have a, neuro, a neurotransmitter that's too low, if it's serotonin, well, 5-HTP and vitamin B6 are the base... Precursors, you give the person the 5-HTP and the B6, then you watch their serotonin elevate without them committing suicide or you know taking part of any of these commercial side effects that, that they go through. It,
0: it all goes back to the gut ability and diet, being able to absorb what you're bringing in, making sure what you're bringing in is nutrient dense so that you have the nutrients that you need. To alleviate that, I actually struggled with depression and anxiety in high school and college. And when I changed my diet, it completely alleviated. Like, obviously, like, stuff still happens. Life still happens. Right. But, like, the fact is, like, when I changed my diet, it changed literally. Everything and I do know about nutrition testing. I'm a big fan of testing, uh, like you are. And you know, I'm a health coach, so I don't do that. I work with doctors that do, and I love the doctors that test and look at micronutrients and macronutrients and food sensitivities and gut health and all those things because we really get a window into what's going on and all these other issues or symptoms that can be addressed by, you know, pretty simple strategies. Really,
1: yeah. Really, it's just a matter of understanding what's going on and getting away from this viewpoint of mama's little helper that there's a pill or a drug for everything because that doesn't work. We've proven it doesn't work. This is the most over medicated society in the world and look what you look what you have going on.
0: Right. Right. So if we're, so we're talking about SSRIs, let's, can you talk to us about maybe pain medications? A lot of people are dealing with, you know, systemic pain or they're take you know, they're dealing with a lot of inflammation. So they're given these medications to help combat that or fight that. And that's causing other issues.
1: Well, the chronic use of them is what's really bad. Temporary use sometimes can come in handy, but chronic use is very bad because what a pain medication does, in actual fact, is it changes your body's perception of the pain. It doesn't actually change or stop the pain itself. Pain is typically caused by inflammation that occurs. You have an area that's inflamed, and then the inflammation brings on pain. It's your body's warning signal that something is wrong. So the, the drug is only changing your perception. If you want to get to the real point of it, you want to do things that are going to help handle the chronic inflammation that's there. And then you have to find out why that's there, and then you, you treat it accordingly. But even using th- Boswella and, and curcumin and things like this, if you use that regularly, then you can get whatever your inflammation down, your pain will dissipate. And then you don't have to be on the pain medication, which not only is altering your perception of pain, but of your surroundings too.
0: Yes. So I have a friend who had chronic pain in one of her shoulders and they gave her oxys for them. And then she couldn't get off of them because her body would perceive pain, any pain, any stimulus became painful, like people touching her and all that stuff, like just feeling Sensories, like adult her senses so much that just being not being medicated her the just the world mm. overwhelmed her her brain like she and she just would physic and her brain would interpret that as pain and it right. was crazy
1: that's bad yeah, yeah. i there mean you.
0: she was able to get off of them it took a lot a lot of work and dedication on her part to make that happen you know um and i know like i I can think of like several examples of people who were literally on, you know, they would have like lower back pain or things like that. And they would be on these medications until their livers literally couldn't handle it anymore. And then they're like, all right, we got to take you off. And then they're just left with nothing
1: Mm. when there
0: are these options, but they don't know. But also the fact that these medications deplete nutrients that actually make pain worse as well. That's true. So
1: BL DL phenylalanine, which is something not a lot of people know about. Um, sometimes it's called DLA. Is um it can be used for moderate pain reduction. It's an amino acid and sometimes it's a good alternative.
0: That's great to know. It's always I feel like what's missing is people don't know what their options are. You know, and oh. I think also the fact that the main medical community poo-poos basically, you know, ginger and curcumin and amino acid therapies and things like that. Like I, when you said that I, I, my brain, I heard L-theanine and I was like, but it's different amino acid, right. But like things that help us relax and help us sleep, like instead of taking a sleeping pill, there's other things that we can do that actually support Mm -hmm. the system versus just falsely like shutting it down or attacking it in some way to make it do what you want it to do.
1: And you were saying something before, which, which struck a chord in me, over the years, I've been doing this, I've been doing this a long time now, it's almost 45 years, I've heard many people tell me that when their constipation improved, they suddenly were happier and brighter, and they were less depressed, and when I first heard that years ago, I said, "Well, oh, that's interesting, you know, I made a note of it, I banked it, but now I don't really understand why that is, and it's it's amazing, but the the intestinal tract actually acts like a holding tank for neurotransmitters. And in order for your neurotransmitters to be, a, be able to be utilized correctly, your body's going to shuffle them back and forth between your bloodstream and your gut. Now, many people, many physicians don't understand this. It does that with hormones and it does it with neurotransmitters. It shuffles them back and forth. So if you have some kind of a dysbiosis, which means you have bad intestinal flora, you can't do that easily. That's why when a person's constipation is relieved, they suddenly feel less depressed. It's because now they can utilize their neurotransmitters better. That's the technical reason why.
0: You know, I've I've heard that that helps, but I didn't actually know about this. I mean, I, and it made it makes sense that it's shuffling back and forth. Like I I knew that mm-hmm. gut health directly impacts neurotransmitters, and that they were made in the gut by our flora and things like that. And when it's off, you create less, or when your diet's poor and you're the it's not getting the food that it needs, it can't create them. But I didn't know about the shuffling back and forth. That's
1: It shuffles them back and forth. So we're
0: able to actually use them, you know, and with hormones, we can get rid of the ones that we don't need anymore, but re-uptake the ones that we do. Mm -hmm. And right, so it all just comes back to the gut and diet and lifestyle. And, you know, one of the things that I've, as a health coach, my, my job, I don't take people off of medication. Right. But what I do is I educate. And one of the things that I like to do when people are on, especially long-term medication is, hey, do you know what nutrients this medication depletes? Like it uses up. And there's websites that you can look up and it will tell you what nutrients get depleted. And then I think it's important to know what a therapeutic dose looks like. And the the websites don't tell you that. You need to go to a doctor that's well-versed in nutrients mm-hmm. and vitamins and, and enzymes.
1: They can even go on Amazon. There are books you can buy on Amazon that specifically tell you there are specifically about what nutrients for a prescription of pharmaceutical drugs will deplete. Now, the wording on that, I don't remember, but basically you can go on there and you can, you find books that will tell you what drug is depleting, what vitamin.
0: And I, I find that absolutely fascinating, just the way, like, and it makes sense when you think about it, right? Like you need certain nutrients, your body needs certain nutrients to do Things One of the things that's coming to mind right now is vitamin A and how everybody hates vitamin A and it's poisonous. And you can take too much and all this stuff, but really you need it to, f- for your immune system to function properly. And people are deficient oh. in it, especially, chi- especially children, because they get sick all the time. Their immune system is learning how mm-hmm. to function. They're sick all the time, but no, you know, we used to give cod liver oil, which is rich, you know, and all those um, nutrients that the immune system needs. We don't do that anymore. So then we have this deficiency that comes.
1: It's the first thing I do with a person who has a cold or a flu is I'll put them on 50,000 to 100,000 units of vitamin A every day for a week or maybe two weeks at the most, and then I cut them back. But it, I know a, a doctor who was taking 50,000 units every day for years for a chronic sinus condition he had, and it kept the sinus condition under control. And he, nev- he never got vitamin A toxicity for whatever reason. But
0: Well, and I know vitamin A and D have an inverse relationship. They, they, they modulate each other. So mm-hmm. if you're getting sufficient amounts of both, you'll never get to- toxic in either.
1: That's correct. Also, a uh, vitamin E falls into there too. AD and E. A E has a sparing effect of A and D because of its antioxidant properties.
0: I did know that as well. Yeah. Okay. So again, so yeah, like, you know, all these things play a role. So there are resources if you're on medications. This is something you need to know. You need to educate yourself on. And then do you have any resources on... Like, should somebody go to a doctor or a specialist to get their blood tested? Is there a certain test that you prefer that you feel is the most accurate? Are you able to speak on that? Because I feel like there's a lot of tests out there, and like the ranges are always all over the place. And then, yeah,
1: the answer is no. <laughs> okay, because it depends on who is interpreting the test.
0: That makes sense.
1: All, all labs come up with their reference ranges basically by surveying the population. There are the better labs will take populations of people who are athletes or people who are healthy, healthier, who have an absence of disease, which is technically the medical definition of health, and they'll look at where their chemistries are. But they're really, if um, a person just gets a simple SMA 26, 24 with a CBC and a WBC and a few other things tagged on, like maybe their serum iron or a thyroid Mm -hmm. panel. They take that to a clinical, a certified clinical nutritionist. That nutritionist usually is going to be able to interpret that test and tell them things about their health um, that the medical doctors not even going to have a clue about.
0: Awesome. I love being able to like inform and then give a resource, right? Like, where do you go from mm-hmm. here? Um, is there anything else that you think people should know when it comes to?
1: Hormones. Hormones. Bioidentical Hormones are really the only hormone I think really should be used because if you go in the literature and you look at the, um, the hormones that are derived from the, we, we used to joke around and call it the horse piss, you know, but they're basically hormones that come right. from horse urine. If they are not, they're synthetic, you see, and they can have a very high potential risk of causing carcino- different carcinogenics. It's not good. The The biochem the bioidenticals don't because the bioidentical is your body considers it to be the, a real hormone, just like it had made mm-hmm. it itself. So it's going to go through your body's processes normally. It doesn't escape detoxification like some of the other hormones do. Some of the other hormones can um, leave a trail behind on them, and that can become carcinogenic after a while. So I would say to people, if they want to do hormone, any kind of hormone work, you want to make sure you're taking bioidenticals.
0: Perfect. Yeah, I did. I did know about um, the synthetic and the risk of cancer. And I don't think that's very well known either. And I think that goes with all synthetic nutrients. Like the body doesn't know what to do with them. And they're actually toxic because they don't go through the normal pathways that the body uses to process, use up and then expel. Or
1: Right. You're not going to learn that from the drug companies. They're not certainly, they're not in any... Um they're not in any hurry to educate people about that Well, they
0: they need repeat customers
1: yes of course that's basically what was it somebody was saying there's the two the two rules in pharmaceutical medicine one is don't kill the patient and the other is don't cure him right if you kill him if you kill him you've lost the customer right then and there and if you cure him You lose a customer because the idea is for people to be repeat, as you were saying before, repeat business. Yeah, it's a business model. Why? In many states, it's illegal to say you can cure people of certain things. It's actually illegal. They can put you in jail if you say you can cure someone's arthritis. You know these laws are that way because the drug companies. You know, the, my one of the things my my wife always jokes about the key the king is king because he says he is. The drug companies say you can't cure these diseases because they they have no cure. They'll admit to, so therefore you can only control the disease by keeping the person on medications, and that's a repeat customer. Right,
0: which is why it is so important to take control of your health and learn about these things and learn about the role nutrition plays, like literally the food that you eat, and how it interacts with your body, and then how your body functions. And you can learn it all. It takes reading, but it, the information's not hidden. Mm-hmm.
1: This is a good point. Major thing I would say, though, as far as this subject goes, that's really overlooked by people are antibiotics. Antib- antibiotics at one point were a gift to mankind. They helped dramatically handle certain infections and things but they become so abused that they've now caused the the newest scourge that we have which is candida and different types of dysbiosis SIBO but primarily candida 30 percent of the u.s population at any given time has candida most of them don't even know it and that's because the symptoms is just so varied that you would never put it together you would never connect the arthritic pain you have to the post-nasal drip, to the bloating that you have. You wouldn't think it's all from the same source.
0: And I think that comes from also our medical system isolating each body part. So you don't think of the body as a whole and how, you know, again, when you're feeling discomfort of any way, it's a a symptom, it's not a cause, right? They treat like, Mm -hmm. oh, the hand's deformed, so we're going to do this, right? Versus like, okay, where what's going on in the body? And always, you know, they've known since what Hippocrates is that, you start in the gut. you start there, and then, you know, once that's healed, if something's still ongoing, you might need to go further. But for the most part, you focus on the gut that's going to resolve a lot of issues
1: it's It's very true. it does. where I think where I can see people having to go forward is when you start dealing with um, environmental illness, because those are these are conditions we didn't have hundreds of years ago. You don't have the exposure to toxic metals, which is the next area of interest. To- toxic metals are m- so much more prominent than people think. And to- toxic metals literally can cause every and any illness you- you've ever heard of. There, There is a metal that can cause that illness. And because people don't really get tested, the population as a whole doesn't mm-hmm. get tested. And because the powers that be don't want that, because then someone has to pay the price you see, because once you find out that your restless leg syndrome or your um, your uh, cognitive problems are being caused by mercury toxicity that you acquired from whatever source it was, now you now the lawsuits start, mm-hmm. and this is where what we're talking about becomes unpopular with a lot of a lot of um, people because somebody's going to pay the tune. whoever pays the piper calls to somebody's got to pay for that you see so once you when you start learning where the causes of these things are and you start looking at toxic metals being a cause of virtually every uh, every ailment there is that gets really scary
0: it it does and that just made me think about tums and how they're so high in in aluminum and what that does to our Mm -hmm. nervous system right and i remember when i was pregnant and the heartburn and i did not do this but i was told just eat tums and there's like you just eat them and people eat them like candy Mm
1: -hmm. And what that does
0: not only to their own nervous system but to that of their unborn child and where we know what aluminum does it's hidden but it's easy to find i always say it's hard to find but it's easy to find if you know what you're looking for Mm -hmm. um and so again that just goes back to like a lot of medications i'm learning also have metals in them
1: yes that's true you
0: know and then i also know like So here's a topic that, um, I recently learned about when it comes to heavy metals is that parasites feed on them. And we think of parasites as bad, we're exposed to them everywhere. You know, we have our own sets. Every part of the world has their own sets of parasites, um, you know, and there's parasite cleanses and blah, blah, blah. But one of the things I've learned is that they feed on metals and they actually protect us from the metals coming in. And so sometimes when you get rid of the parasites, all of a sudden you start having all these complications from heavy metals in your system. And then you have to go through a process of detoxifying
1: that yep. yes that's true they, a lot of parasites absorb metals um for whatever reason they do the, but when you kill the parasite then when the parasite decomposes in your body all those metals are released but typically if you go to if you go to a clinician a functional medical doctor or a clinical nutritionist who knows what he's doing they're going to test if they're testing you for parasites they're testing you typically also for toxic metals so if they see you have both They're going to know that when they put you on this parasite cleanse, they better also put you on things that are going to bind those metals as they're gradually released. This way you don't end up with a big mess. Because if you don't do that, you just give the person parasite medicine. And then as the parasites die, all of a sudden in one way they feel better, but another way they feel worse because all these metals are now being released in their bodies.
0: Again, it's just understanding how it all works. Mm -hmm. And when you, and knowledge is power, right? Mm -hmm. And we, especially for people who have chronic ongoing symptoms, whatever the root cause is, autoimmune, you know, inflammation, whatever, like when you start taking control of your health, that's when you start depending less on medications and you start going through this process and it's multifaceted really, mm-hmm. really quick. Cause you've talked about this. Let's, can we talk about candida really quick and how that is affected by medication and nutrition and you know everybody there's candida cleanses everywhere and a candida diet and all those things like there's just a lot of misinformation like or misunderstood information i would like to maybe clarify that a little bit since i have you here
1: first thing i'll tell you is that covid causes candida we've had numerous covid patients immediately start testing positive for candida
0: i did not know that
1: and we've had we've had many patients well, I can say many? we've had a, a, enough patients who we pre- previously cured of, of Candida come back to us when they got COVID saying, I'm having Candida symptoms again. And we tested them and sure enough, we found that Candida was was coming back as a result of having COVID. And what's also interesting, is the same thing for the, vaccinate, the vaccine. if As far as I'm concerned, COVID and the vaccine are almost functionally identical. We've had people who were vaccinated three, four, or five times and got Candida. And they also had COVID three or four or five times. Interestingly enough. So it's kind of the same in that matter. So that's a new, that's new on the uh, forefront of candida. Now that COVID's in the picture. But typically, how someone would get candida traditionally would be from taking antibiotics. That's the most common Uh, antibiotics and then uh, hormone medications, steroids, particularly. The reason why steroids cause candida is because they elevate the glucose level in the tiny blood vessels in your Mm. intestines. So that makes that's almost like you're. Dousing yourself with sugar, and uh, tums and antacids cause candida, because they lower, they increase the pH. Candida likes an alkaline environment in your intestines; it doesn't like acidity. Acidity, hence acidophilus. If you, if you think about the word acidophilus, why is it called acidophilus? Well, it's because it's a bacteria that releases acids into your intestines, which lowers the pH of your intestines. Acidophilus always tries to keep your intestinal pH somewhere between 6 and 7.2, which is an area that Candida can't live in. Once the pH goes above 7.2 and you start going 7.4, 5, 6, 7, that's where Candida starts to grow.
0: That's so interesting. You know, when we're talking about COVID really quick, I knew that it messed with the gut. I did not real, I did not know that it, it uh, caused Candida. And so, you know, let's say that people go, oh my gosh, like I did start having, I may am having these symptoms, you know, what, what, where would they go from there?
1: I don't know. There (laughs) there aren't that many people who know about this.
0: I feel like naturopathic doctors, I live in Phoenix. We have a naturopathic school. Here's a book. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: This whole group of doctors, mm-hmm. who most people have heard about, they they know a lot about this, but the average doctor doesn't. Doctors are just, doctors are just coming up to the point of um, admitting to their patients the vaccine has a lot of side effects.
0: Yeah. So the title of the book, if you could hold it up a little higher for me,
1: it's neither safe nor effective.
0: It's by Dr. Colleen Huber. H-U-B-E-R. Um, I have a, that's a good book.
1: Um, She's one of those doctors who knows about this
0: stuff. (laughs) Um, So here in Phoenix, especially, we have a naturopathic school. And so we have a lot of naturopathic doctors and they are well-versed in um, candida and testing and treating and all of that. But I also believe in research and getting to know things because everybody, there's always different approaches. And so it's kind of knowing what your options are.
1: It took me 30 years to just conclude that I finally had, had it down and knew exactly what Candida was going to do at any moment. And that's all covered in my book, The Candida Chronicles, which you can get on Amazon. But just to, I run down the list of the things, the average mistakes people make. People on a Candida treatment will take probiotics right in the beginning, which is a total, total, complete waste of time because Candida repels the probiotics. Your body's not ready to accept the probiotics and gain benefit until you have eliminated the, eliminated the deep intestinal candida, which is done only by using antifungals, which are fatty acid-based, because they're the only ones that can get down there deep enough and kill the candida at the roots. So when you, people ask me all the time when they come in as new patients, what should I do with my probiotic? I tell them, just go. The bathroom is right there. Just go there. Dump it right down the toilet, because it's not going to do you any good. Antifungals. Antifungals have to be rotated. If you stay on the same antifungal for longer than 21 days, your candida will start to mutate. It will it will go from candida albicans to Galbrada to tropicalis. It will go to these other strains, which are more super strains. They're drug resistant strains. And luckily, my program handles that, where we don't have to worry about that. But the average person doesn't isn't doing that. The average person is taking the same antifungal every day, and then they wonder why it stops working after a few months. And that's why it's because they've driven their strain of Candida into drug resistance. People will take vitamins and all these different nutrients with Candida. And it makes sense in a way when you hear what the logic is, but the thing that the people aren't looking at is do they know, for instance, how some of the main pharmaceuticals work in killing Candida, for instance, ketoconazole kills Candida by blocking the Candida's uptake of vitamin D. So, Would it make sense if you had candida to be taking vitamin D as a supplement? No. Nystatin works by blocking the candida's uptake of iron. So if you have candida, does it make sense to take iron? You're just feeding it, making it worse. Most medicines that kill candida, whether they're pharmaceutical or herbal, kill the candida by creating oxidative stress against the membrane of the candida. So does it make sense to take antioxidants while you're trying to kill candida? Just one, that's just one little...
0: And do you go into this in your book?
1: In my book, I cover all this in detail and how I how I found out about all these things. But a lot of the things I learned about candida was just shutting up and listening to the patient tell me what they had been doing with the other doctor that wasn't working. And then I hit the textbooks and try to find out what the reason was in the, in the mycology texts. And lo and behold, it was there somewhere. It might have been obscure, but it was there. And that's gradually how I put my entire protocol together was by doing that was just by hearing what didn't work and knowing okay well so you went to the doctor the doctor told you there's no way you can get rid of the candida unless you get rid of the mercury then he put you on the mercury program and the next thing you knew you had candida growing out of every orifice and it, you couldn't do it anymore it was so bad okay well gee, i guess we better handle the candida before we put the person on a mercury program
0: there you go Well, I will make sure to have a link to your book, uh, the Amazon link in the show notes and, um, you know, make sure that they can connect with you. And, you know, do you have any websites or how could people follow you or learn from you or, you know, do you have a clinic? How can people interact with you?
1: Easiest thing is to go online and they can look up the main website, which is health-truth.com. And we have two other websites, the New York City Candida Doctor and the New York City Thyroid Doctor. Now, people say, why Candida and thyroid? Well, it just happens to be that the major thing that Candida will affect, which is unknown, goes unknown, is thyroid. There's a dramatic connection between Candida and your thyroid. So a person, Hashimoto's, I know doctors who will insist there's no such thing as Hashimoto's. Everyone with Hashimoto's has Candida, and it's autoimmune, and that's the... That's the reason. And I know they're not too far off the mark, but the candida does heavily influence your thyroid. It's one of the first things it takes down. You know, what, pretty much when we have the person's um, probiotics normalized, the very first thing that we do with them from a metabolic standpoint is we start addressing their adrenal and thyroid. Because you'd be guaranteed, anyone who's had ca- chronic candida, their adrenal and their thyroid has gone down. And they've often accumulated copper, So they'll be copper toxic and if they're not, and they could also be copper and mercury toxic because our amalgams are made of a zinc copper mercury alloy. So if those are old and they've been leaching, then you're going to find the zinc. Usually they'll use up metabolically, but because mercury there's no real metabolic function and copper can be just overwhelming when there's too much of it, you'll find they're toxic in both. That's kind of the profile you'll see of the, the ex candida patient they, they have adrenals which are totally non-functional they have Hashimoto's or a thyroid problem they will be copper and mercury toxic um, you'll very often see they have those uh, thyroid antibodies elevated and they have leaky gut that's the other thing but we're presuming we've handled the leaky gut by now in the discussion we've handled that right because you don't give a person with leaky gut uh, probiotics This is another thing I learned the hard way I gave people leaky gut probiotics. I, my phone never stopped ringing. People calling, I can't, I don't know what's wrong. I'm picking the probiotic. It's giving me a headache. It's doing this. It's doing that. I feel like I have the flu. Now, if you think it's common sense, you have leaky gut. This means things leak into your bloodstream. So if you take probiotics, the bacteria of the probiotic is going to leak into your bloodstream. It's going to cause more autoimmune problems.
0: And that makes me think about the typical gut healing protocols and how probiotics are always the last stage. Like you repopulate at the very end, at first, you're repairing and supporting that it should be and and you're not taking probiotics and those are like the very last you once the lining is healed then you add the probiotics and i
1: that's you
0: know and this is
1: in the correct program they see for many years people and still people don't know about this
0: well they usually try to rush things and take everything all at once because we know well we know the role probiotic probiotics play in a lot of different functions in the body so we feel like they're necessary, and they they are in a healthy environment, just like vitamin D is and vi- iron is, but if you have something that's blocking it or something that's that's off, then it might not be appropriate for that time.
1: No, but there is such, it is such, still, unfortunately, a tendency that I see that people are on these rushing programs, like you're saying, where they're taking everything at once. We used to call it the Ungapachka program, because in Yiddish, onga pachka means everything thrown together. And this is what you would find. And you st- I still st- see this occasionally when people come to me from other practitioners. They're giving them everything at once, which I could, I could talk about why that won't work for hours. And I know for a fact, because I used to do it. 20, 25 years ago, I was doing that with people, and it didn't work. It didn't work. That's how I discovered what I know now and what I wrote the book based on, the Candida Chronicles, because that doesn't work. It's just, it's impossible. It can't. The body's too smart for that to work in its own native way.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I've absolutely loved this conversation and learning from you, and I'm going to be buying your book so that I can really dive in deep. Um, So thank you. Is there anything else you want to leave with, with our listeners before we go?
1: No, I think we've got I think we've, we've done a good job.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much.
1: You're more than welcome.
0: Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. If you found this episode helpful, would you do me a favor and help others find it by leaving a review, sharing a screenshot on social media, or sharing the link with a friend? By you sharing what you've learned, others are able to find this podcast and join our community. Be sure to check out my website, www.roadtolivingwhole.com, for over 160 delicious recipes, a variety of meal plans, and a blog packed full of even more healthy living tips. If you'd like to learn more about how to work with me as your coach, you can schedule a free consult through www.roadtolivingwhole.com backslash health-coaching backslash. Until next time, friend. Bye.